guilty of themselves. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit and the virtue opposite to it is called humility. Uh, And so today I want to look at three things with you. Uh, I want to look at the character of pride, what it is, uh, the deadliness of pride, what it does, and the cure for pride, uh, how to be humble. Uh, now, this uh, clicker here is humbling me very much because it's not working uh, at the moment. So, Cheryl, you might kick that one into gear and then we might get this thing working. Uh, so, firstly, let's look uh, at the character of pride, what it is. Now, it was um, very quick to turn up um, what pride is when I googled selfie. Uh, And and I I just want to show you a little bit of what came up when I Googled, typed in uh, selfie. Now, I I had to ask at 7.30 if if people knew what a selfie was. I was surprised that actually more than half of them did. Uh, But I I won't... Sorry, that sounds quite arrogant for me to say that. Um, um, And uh, uh, But but here's here's a picture that came up when I Googled in selfie. Uh, That's what a selfie is. And then just four book titles um, that came up... um, very quickly uh, when I typed in selfies. So here's Time magazine, the me, me, me generation, and there's a picture of someone taking a selfie. Uh, Here's another book, Selfie, How the West Became Self-Obsessed. Here's another book, The Selfie Generation. And then finally, Raising Kids in a Selfie Generation. There's a a four or five-year-old uh, taking a selfie. Quite disconcerting. There's a spectrum of opinion about this, though, and here's a quote that I found uh, on the whole topic. In the last 10 years, we've seen a rise in selfishness, selfies, self-absorbed people, superficiality, self-degradation, apathy, and self-destruction. Uh, so there's one end of the spectrum, and then I sh- thought I should throw in uh, the other end of the spectrum from Jeanette LeBlanc. Take more selfies. Your beauty deserves to be seen and known, most especially by you. You are worthy of being the subject of your own art. Uh, So there you go, opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, two opinions on uh, selfie and a selfie generation. Uh, Here's what C.S. Lewis, uh, here's how he defines pride. I think it's brilliant. He calls pride ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. Ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. And, and, you know, the selfie analogy is actually quite quite helpful. Uh, Before the fall in Genesis 1 and 2, our eyes were filled with the glory of the infinitely glorious immortal God. That's, That's all we could see. The infinitely glorious and beautiful God. And then after the fall, we went on selfie mode. We were cut off from the infinitely glorious and immortal God. And what's the next best thing after that? The people made in his image. We went on selfie mode and we became self-obsessed. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1 verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Instead, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. We went on selfie mode. What a tragedy that was. Pride makes you concentrate everything on you. 
You don't do relationships, you don't do jobs, you don't do ministry, you don't do anything apart from asking the question, how do I look? What's in this for me? It's an endless ego calculation of how you're adding up. You're asking the question, how do I look? What are they thinking of me? Am I getting appreciated here? How am I being regarded? Ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. And when you realise that this is how the Bible defines pride, you you finally realise that pride actually comes in two forms. Firstly, there's the superiority form of pride, which is you're doing this ego calculation and you're measuring up quite well. And so you're doing quite well and you're looking down on everyone else. That's the pride that we recognise. That's the pride that we identify with and understand. But there's another form of pride. And it's called the inferiority form of pride, where you're doing exactly the same thing, ego calculation, weighing yourself up, seeing how you're going, and you're not going well. But both of, in both cases, you're self-obsessed. And so the superiority form of person and the inferiority form person have much more in common with each other than they do with a humble person. Because a humble person's not thinking of themselves. And so C.S. Lewis' definition of pride is simply brilliant. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Not being needy for other people's approval or respect. Not caring so much about other people's approval or respect or where you are in the pecking order of life. So when you hang out with people, when you do jobs, when you take on ministry, whatever you do, it's not to make yourself feel good or to win approval because you care so much about what other people think. You're just doing it because you enjoy doing that. And those things are good and you enjoy doing good things. It's a miserable prison to be trapped in. A quote that stuck with me ever since I heard it is this. A life wrapped up in itself makes for a very small package. It does, doesn't it? A life wrapped up in itself makes for a very small package. Uh, Malcolm Muggridge talked about the dark little dungeon of my own ego. It's, it's so ironic because our culture's highest value is freedom and self-expression, right? Like today, it's all about freedom and self-expression, and yet we're the selfie generation. We're trapped in the prison of self. It, it, it's, it, it's so ironic that a culture that, that prizes freedom above everything else is so trapped in self, in the dark dungeon of my own ego. Clearly, we haven't figured this out. If you've heard of the Screwtape Letters, it's another book by C.S. Lewis. You've, you've got a senior devil writing to his junior devil, giving, giving advice on how to tempt patience, which is, which is people, Christians and others. And this is what the senior devil writes to the, to the junior devil. He says, you must conceal from your patient the real nature of humility, uh, Let him or her think of it not as self-forgetfulness, but as a low opinion of his or her own talents and character. To thwart the enemy, that's God, we must consider his aims. 
He wants to bring your man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and know it to be a fact without being any more or less glad at having done it than if it had been done by someone else. The enemy, God, wants him or her in the end to be so free from any thought for himself that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents. The, the thing that irks me, that always irks me the most on Facebook is when I see colleagues of mine doing well. Concentrating on the self. That's what pride is. That's the character of pride. Let's talk about the deadliness of pride, what it does. All throughout the Bible, over and over again, we're told that pride is deadly. God opposes the proud, we're told. Pride comes before a fall. We, we see it everywhere in, in the scriptures. Jesus says in the reading, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So how is pride deadly? Well, pride tears us apart. It's interesting in verse 2, Paul says, uh, of, of Philippians 2, Paul says, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's, he's talking about unity. He, and, then, and then why does he go on to talk about humility? Because lowering ourselves is the thing that brings us together and makes us, brings us into harmony. And what's the thing that tears us apart? Pride. The word selfish ambition comes up seven times in the New Testament. And pretty much all of them, are all, it's, it's listed with all these other sins. And pretty much all of the sins that selfish ambition is listed with are social sins. Okay, I want, you, I want to read them out for you. And, and just hear, these are social sins. They tear us apart. So in 2 Corinthians 12.20, it's listed with quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Uh, in Galatians 5:20, it's listed along with hatreds, strife, dissensions, factions. I mean, isn't this so depressing? James 3 verse 14, it's, it goes along with bragging. This is what selfish ambition does. It, it tears us apart as a community. Look at, look at how... Torn apart our world is. I mean, is anyone following a particular election race at the moment? And that's not all. It's everywhere. Selfish ambition tears us apart. It's, it's tragic. It makes us a fool. That's the second thing. Pride makes you a fool. Pride keeps you from learning from your mistakes. Why? Because proud people are self-justifying in their hearts. And so they become touchy and defensive and argumentative when given feedback or even when they think about their own mistakes. And so whenever something goes wrong, whenever you make a mistake at work or it doesn't work out in a particular relationship or whenever something goes wrong, it's always him or her or the situation or the circumstance or the system. And it's never you. So you never learn from your mistakes. Even though in all of those situations that went wrong... There's one common denominator, and it's you. 
So, so you leave the situation to get away from your problems, but you take them all with you because you're the problem. Pride makes you a fool, never learning from your mistakes and not able to take criticism. Some of you will have heard of Jim Collins. He, he's written a book, it's a famous book on leadership called, called Good to Great. And, and in that book, he talks about a level five leader. Okay? You've, you've, there's a pecking order and you, if you're good, you're up the top and you're a level five leader. And here's how he defines it. It's so, someone who combines confidence with humility. Someone who doesn't suffer from inferiority but also someone who doesn't suffer from superiority. And these are the great leaders. And what they do is they can take, not take themselves so seriously. And they can take feedback and they, they take criticism. And they can actually go searching for feedback and for criticism so they can grow and become great leaders. Pride makes you a fool. If it's a superiority form, you, you dismiss feedback or criticism. Because you're above it. But in the inferiority form, when you get feedback or criticism, you melt away into nothing. So people go, well, I just, I can't do this. Because you just melt away. You can't take it. Because of inferiority. You know, the other day, the the last time I preached, um, Malcolm, after the morning service, he gave me some feedback on my slides. They they weren't up to scratch. Um, People couldn't see them. I was like, you, you, you. <laughs> I'll show you, I don't know how to do slides. <laughs> well, Malcolm's going to go, well, okay, well, maybe I just won't bother because he can't take it. And then I don't learn. Pride makes you a fool. You don't learn from criti- you don't take criticism. You don't take feedback. You can't learn. It tears us apart. It makes you a fool, but it gets worse. Pride makes you evil. There's another bit in the New Testament where selfish ambition comes up. It's James 3 verse 16. I didn't mention it to you, but James says this, and mark this well. Where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Every kind of evil. St. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. St. Augustine in the 5th century said it's the archetypal sin. C.S. Lewis calls it the great sin and Tim Keller says pride is the hellish petri dish that grows all kinds of other sin in your life. Pride makes you evil. So think about bitterness. Are you bitter and resentful for, to, towards someone? Well, well, really, you're saying, I would never do that. I'm better than that. I'm better than them. Or often if you suffer from paralyzing and debilitating fear. Sometimes what you're saying is, well, I know exactly how everything is supposed to happen. Uh, you're, you're sure because you know what's best to happen in history and it's got to be this way and if it doesn't happen this way, it'll be a disaster and you're freaking out about it. Why? Because you know exactly how things are meant to go. And, and how can you know? Well, you just know exactly the way things are meant to go. And if it doesn't go according to your plan, it's a disaster and so you're anxious. That takes arrogance. To, to know exactly how things are supposed to roll. 
or self-pity. That's, a, that's one that I like to, to, to indulge in every once in a while. Well, I'm not getting as good as I deserve. I deserve better than this. It, it makes you opinionated because you've got such a high view. Because everyone needs to know your opinion and brash. It makes you jealous because other people are getting what they don't deserve and you, des- you deserve that. You, that's what you need some of that. You, you're better than them. Pride makes you jealous. Pride makes you evil. James 3.16, where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But it gets worse because pride hides itself from you. Keller says, pride is the carbon monoxide of sins, killing you without having any awareness that it's happening because it's odorless. So... If you're committing adultery, you, you don't go like, oh, oh my goodness, you're not my wife. If, if, you're, if you're embezzling money at, at work and, and you look in your bank account, there's 200,000 extra dollars in there. How did that get there? No, no. You, you know what you're doing. And, you know, and people can confess all kinds of sins. But how often do we confess the sin of pride? Not, not very often because we're blind to it. There's a book that, by a guy called Joseph Epstein. It's a bit hard to read up there, but it's called Snobbery. And in, the, in it, he talks about how everyone hates snobs. But you can only hate snobs if you think you're better than them. So hating snobbery is itself a form of snobbery because humble people don't feel superior to snobs. They don't feel superior to them. So... Do you ever look down on snobs? Do, do you ever look down your nose at people who look down their nose at other people? <laughs> okay, let's, let's take it further to show how it's the carbon monoxide of sins. How, how many of you have mainly been thinking during the sermon about someone else that needs to hear this sermon? That, that, oh, gee, I wish they, they, they were here or... Or, oh man, they, I hope they're listening. How many of you done? How, how many of you done one of these? Well, well, it does take a fair degree of arrogance to not be thinking of yourself up to this point in the sermon. It takes a certain amount of pride to do that. So, so here's the thing: pride tears us apart. Pride makes you a fool. Pride makes you evil. Pride hides itself from you. And religious pride is the worst kind of pride of all. If I say to you, guys, come on, get your act together. You need to pray more, you need to read the Bible more, you need to join a small group, you need to listen to more sermons, you, 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 you need to work this one out. And you listen to me and, and you do what I say and you read your Bible more and you pray more and you make yourself accountable and you, and you get really religious. Look, you can deal with other sins that way, at least to an extent. You can kill off your, your lust that way. You might be able to kill off uh, your, your you know, stealing if, you, if, you're, if you're into that. But you'll never be able to kill off your pride that way. It, it'll, it'll actually make it worse. Religious pride is the worst kind of pride of all. There's no religious person like a... a there's no proud person like a Pharisee. Because you've got the truth. 
You've worked it out. You've got the inside scoop on humility. So if all I do today is, is tell you how amazing God is and how humble God is and you just need to be more like him, it, it won't work. It, it'll take you in one of two directions. You'll feel superior because you've made it and you'll become self-righteous even about your humility or lack of self-righteousness and, and you'll look down your nose at people who look down their noses at people or you'll feel inferior and completely crushed because this, the bar is set too high and, and, and you can't make it and so you feel inferior. And you know what, just as a side note, you've heard me say that the dropout rate for Christian kids who've grown up in the church in Australia is 70%. 70% of our kids statistically walk away from the faith. 70% walk away. And I am convinced the reason is because of this. They see a religious bar set for them. They're not getting the good news of the gospel of grace. They're getting religion and they can't do it. So they leave. They're not getting Jesus. It's tragic. Religion can kill off other sins, but it's just like pouring oil on the fire if you try and deal with, with pride that way. You're just going to add to it, become superior. But there's a cure for pride. That's the third point. And it's, what it is is instead of us climbing up to save ourselves from pride, we need to see Jesus climbing down to save us in humility. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself and made himself nothing and took on the form of a slave being found in human likeness and being born in human likeness. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We need to see Jesus doing that for us. John Stott says, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. That's the essence of sin. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. And God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's my King. That's my Jesus. Jesus said those who exalt themselves will be humbled but those who humble themselves will be exalted it's what happened to him and this is what sets us free from the dark dungeon of ourselves to be captivated and enthralled 
by the beauty of Jesus. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. This is an absolute rule of the universe, top to bottom, left to right, wherever you go. It's not even a Christian thing. It's just like gravity. So... So this is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's a famous Hollywood actor. You, you might recognise him. I watched The Dark Knight, Batman, recently. He's, he's in that. He's very famous. And, and this is him in a TED Talk. And in this TED Talk, he talks about the difference between getting attention and paying attention. And he says our whole world of social media and selfless is always about getting attention. And he talks about how when he gets caught up in that selfie generation, when he's on set taking selfies, putting on Instagram, trying to get more likes, it ruins his artwork, his, his craft as an actor. He's rubbish at it. But when he's free from that and he's paying attention on the artwork, on the character, on the script... He becomes a good actor. He does it well. He's free from self. He's not doing it to get attention. C.S. Lewis writes about it as well in Mere Christianity. He says, lose yourself to find it. You'll never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making. Even in literature and art, no one who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply tell the truth without caring two pence how often it has been told before, you will, nine times out of ten, become original without ever having noticed it. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Friends, there's nothing wrong with wanting glory. We were born for glory. We were born in the image of an immortal, glorious, infinitely glorious God. To see him and behold him and to become like him. We were born for glory. Friends, there's nothing wrong with wanting glory. We were destined for glory. We're going to be glorified into his image one day. Becoming brighter than a million suns, shining with glory. There's nothing wrong with wanting glory. Here's the problem. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mere humans. We're on selfie mode. We're curved in on ourselves. A life wrapped in up in itself makes for a very small package. And so the only thing that will set us free from ourselves is to see the infinite king of glory strip himself of all of that glory and being born in human likeness and and making himself a slave and becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross the infinite king of glory doing that for us it's only when we see that everything we deserve for our pride was poured out on him on the cross, for setting ourselves up against God in in pride. And, And when we see that everything that he deserves as the glorious son has been poured out on us by grace. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, Father, I have given them the glory you have given me. Isn't that amazing? That's us. That's our inheritance. That's our birthright in Christ. 
Paul in verse 1, he talks about in Christ. This is our birthright and our inheritance because Jesus gave up his birthright and his inheritance for us on the cross. This is the only thing that will humble us and set us free from the miserable dungeon of self. To paraphrase Andrew Murray, he says, Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision of God. And the result is that finally, when you realize he loves you like that, that he went through all that for you, that's the one-two punch that your ego needs to be put back in its place, to be self-forgetful and, and at rest, to realize what you have in Christ. The, the real title for this sermon should be The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. And so that's why Paul starts the way he does in verse 1. Look at it. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, then do this because of what you have in Christ and what it is that he's done for you. This can overflow now because you're in Christ. This is your birthright and your inheritance. Friends, it's not enough to say, I believe in God. That'll never make you humble. Even the devils believe that. You have to see the infinite God of glory coming down and trading places with you, being stripped of his glory at infinite cost so that you can be clothed in his glorious robes of righteousness. Because on the one hand, realizing that you're so bad that he had to die That makes you humble, realizing that you're so bad that he had to die. But at the same time, realizing that you're so loved that he was glad to die makes you incredibly confident and loved. This is is why we say to see Jesus is to see that you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to imagine. And yet at the same time in Christ, you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared to believe. And when you finally realise all this, that's the one-two punch that your ego needs. You'll finally be able to go and do likewise, to have the same mind that was in Christ, to lower yourself. You'll see that he was strong enough to make himself weak. He was glorious enough to to suffer humiliation. Because he didn't care about what other people think. All he cared about was the glory of the Father. And if you see him doing that for you, then you'll be able to go and do likewise. You'll be strong enough to be weak. You'll know the glory that you have enough that you'll be able to suffer humiliation. You'll take on ministry roles. You'll do, you'll do your job. You'll do everything that you'll do. Your relationships, not because of what is in it for you, but because they're the right thing to do and that you just love serving and doing those things. You won't be stuck in selfie mode. When you realize what you have in Christ, the comfort, the consolation, the love, the sympathy, the fellowship of the spirit that he talks about in verse 1. And you know what is so cool about this? It's a, that's when we're at our best. When we're not on selfie mode. It's C.S. Lewis has said it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt up on the screen 
said it. Here's what one of the greatest musicians of all time said, Johann Sebastian Bach. He said, The aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Friends, we're at our best when we're living for the glory of the God. It brings out the Imagine what kind of community we'll be when we get this. Imagine what kind of work we'll be able to do. Imagine what kind of art we'll be able to perform. Imagine what kind of families we'll be able to be when we get this. What we have in Christ. Isn't this what you want? C.S. Lewis says, If anyone wants to acquire humility, tell him or her the very first step is to realise that one is proud. And a biggish step it is too. Nothing whatsoever, whatsoever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible riches that we have in Christ. Because he, the King of glory, stripped himself of all his glory and died what we deserve in our place on the cross. And everything that he deserved, the glory upon glory, has been poured out into our hearts in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, to see what we deserve is to be deeply humbled. But to see that you were glad to do it makes us deeply loved and deeply affirmed. And so we thank you that Jesus was strong enough to be weak, glorious enough to suffer humiliation. And thank you that when we see the beauty and the glory of this, that we're set free from the dark dungeon of the self so that we can see your glory and your beauty. Father, give us the grace to go and do likewise, to head out into the world, not with our phones on selfie mode, but free from the self, able to serve you and love others because we love you and we love others to work in this world for your glory, to make beautiful things for your glory and not for our own. Give us this grace, Father. Pour out your spirit. We need you. Amen.